0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to News & Brew Sports Bids, our podcast series that advocates for the financial voices in college athletics and features new developments impacting the business of college sports. I'm Katie Davis.
1: And I'm Ken Kerdzel. This month's episode builds on a topic we frequently discuss, telling your financial story. We're joined today by Shane Metzler from our firm, who oversees our NCAA agreed-upon procedures work and likely sees more Division I NCAA financial reports than any other CPA in the country.
2: Shane, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me, Ken and Katie.
0: So, in October of 2022, the NCAA released its report on trends in Division I athletics finances. I shared some initial thoughts of the report on Twitter last month, which ended up receiving a lot of attention and led to many conversations since then. So, we thought it would be valuable to take a deeper dive on our observations and ideas. Um, First, I'm going to just set the stage a little bit with the parameters around the data. Um, The report showed 17 years uh, that was studied of trends from 2005 to 2021, which is the most recent financial data available. It includes uh, 350 schools uh, in the Division I. And just for context, The Power Five represents about 18.5% of the schools, but about 50% of the revenues and expenses. So one thing I thought was interesting was they made the distinction of generated versus allocated revenue. So the generated revenue um, really is more focused on sustainability, like ticket sales, NCAA and conference distributions, contributions, and other items like guarantees, broadcast rights, royalties, concessions, endowment, income, et cetera. Um, versus the allocated, um, which is really more supported revenue, um, which is basically student fees and government and institutional support. So, uh, Shane, what were your thoughts as far as where the money comes from?
2: Yeah, Katie. Um, so the the study that you know we're we're talking about had a lot of high high charts in it uh, that were really interesting to look at that showed a breakdown of the revenue sources across uh, the D1. And it, hmm. it broke it down into tiers to kind of show a more detailed look into um, exactly what those sources are. And so the, the first kind of tier that it showed were, were Power Five schools. Um, and it really was kind of what you would expect. It, you know Most of the revenue were was coming from those generated sources. So I think 45% was coming from media rights, conference distributions, um, and bowl-generated revenue, which are all you know, uh, those revenue sources coming directly through the conference. Um, when you get down into the group of five, there was you know, it was a lot bigger piece of the pie was coming from student fees uh, and institutional support. I think over forty-eight percent of their revenues were coming from um, direct institutional support, and the um, the slice of the pie that was coming from those allocated revenue sources that you were talking about, Katie, just gets bigger and bigger kind of as you go down to the FCS tier and then to the non-football schools, it's it's even larger.
0: Yeah, and I think it's just really eye-opening that, um, you know, really when you break down the generated and allocated revenue, it is very different from the Power Five versus everyone else. Um there is some information, though, that I think is missing that could help better tell the financial story. And I've had these conversations a lot with CFOs. And and ironically, a lot of it was before COVID when guaranteed uh, generated revenue really felt like it was truly guaranteed. Um, but if you took that generated revenue um, bucket and broke that down further between um, what's variable generated revenue and then what's guaranteed, um, so variable being ticket sales, contributions, um, et cetera, versus guaranteed generated revenue, which would be more of those media rights and and other contractual type revenues um, that over time, there has been a significant shift in that, which, um, you know, really shows some more responsible financial stewardship and getting some of these contracts. Uh, so I think it would be interesting to show that breakout. Um, also, another thing that I think is missing that would help um, goes back to that relationship between campus and athletics. And, and if uh, they showed a net allocated revenue, meaning, um, you know, you take the allocated revenue and then back out scholarships and indirect institutional support expenses that go back to campus so that you can really see the net impact of how campus is supporting athletics mm-hmm. or vice versa. Um, so as we, uh, talk more about the continued separation of haves and have nots, um, before we dive into the longer term trends, I want to, um, highlight some of the COVID impacts that we were able to see just from looking at, um, like, let's say 2019, which is before there were any COVID impacts through 2021, um, the most recent data, which would pick up the 2020 football season. Um, so. Uh, you know, Shane and Ken, what were your thoughts on, you know, COVID impacts that you saw in this report?
2: Yeah, Katie, one of the kind of biggest impacts that I saw, and it was something that was mentioned directly in the report, um, was that across FBS schools, generated revenue decreased 43%, um, which is obviously substantial and and, and very significant. Um, but I think one of the, the big things is that, you know, the COVID context is, is lacking there. Um, There, the HERF funding really shifted a lot of the generated sources of revenue that, you know, they're discussing decreased, for example, the the lost revenue um, stimulus funds, that's all shifting generated revenues to allocated revenues. Um, So it's just something to be thinking about when you're looking at these numbers.
1: Yeah, it's good. Good point, Shane. And obviously we'll, We'll see a little bit of that even next year probably as we know that the the HERF or the Higher Education Relief Fund funds really was a, over an extended period of time so we'll see some of that bleed into 2022 as well and one of the things I noticed too obviously is um, there was a tightening of the belt um, and expenses going down which is you know the first time if you look back at the trend lines uh, expenses never go down but they did go down. Uh, in 2021 versus 2020, with an 11% decline uh, in spending for Division One, and one of the things that's interesting in the data is they look later on at, um, you know, the the how the spending in athletics is relative to the rest of the institution, uh, and you know, just the. The, rate, the rates of the spending and obviously with 2021 being COVID impacted, we actually saw that flip the other way where um, athletics really tightened their belts even more than the overall institution.
2: Yeah. And a- another thing that was really interesting is that in this report, they talk a lot about athletic programs and self-sufficiency. Uh, so basically kind of eliminating the, those allocated portion portions of revenue which schools are generating enough revenue internally to be self-sufficient and kind of you know, exceed the expenses that they're having on a year-to-year basis. And for 2021, there were just nine FBS institutions that, that were self-sufficient based on those generated revenues, which was a, um, a decrease from, from 25 back in 2019 that were self-sufficient. Um, and, they, and for 2021, there are actually zero FCS schools Uh, that were self-sufficient. So obviously, very much due to the impact of COVID and and kind of that shift from generated revenues to more of the allocated revenues. Yeah, another uh,
1: another huge factor uh, with COVID is just that um, it's not completely apples to apples across institutions, um, that if we were to drill down into the all of the subdata that makes up um, this larger report, you know we're naturally going to have, especially within the Power 5, varying impacts of COVID depending on which conference you're in, which um, region of the country, whether your state was one that had very tight COVID restrictions or looser COVID restrictions. So we know, for instance that you know, very big differences between the PAC-12 uh, football season. And the sec's football season uh, and therefore the you know the the ranges within uh, this area are going to be more dramatic in 2021 because of the COVID impacts one thing that we do see also too is that the power five also obviously had a bigger COVID impact really as a percentage of their revenue than non-power five um, due to the fact that as you already mentioned the generated revenue you know those areas ticket sales and Media rights, things like that, being more impacted by COVID um, than than for non-power five, uh, ticket sales actually dropped from 19% of total revenue in 2020 to less than 3% in 2021. So that just gives you, a, you know, an illustration of just how dramatic that decline and that generated revenue there is. So for those power five schools, um, you know, they enjoy the. Uh, the riches of the really good years, but they also have more to lose uh, in a year where those um, those ticket revenues and generated revenues uh, get impacted.
2: Yeah, it's a a good point with the Power Five, and and you could kind of see the opposite with FCS and mid major schools, where you know they also had that tightening of the belt and were able to really decrease uh, their spending, um, and with less impact to their generated. Revenue sources just from you know inherently having more allocated revenue sources, um, their bottom line was hurt a lot less than it was for the Power Five schools.
1: So, Katie, what are some of the trends that you saw out of this? You know, kind of looking by subdivision.
0: Yeah. So, um, I've always joked that while the NCAA intends for these financial reports to be apples to apples, I'd say it's like apples to rocket ships. Um, but I think. Over the 17 year trend, it really does help with apples to apples because it is taking those median um, revenues or expenses uh, by subdivision, whether it's um, power five group of five FCS or uh, the non football mid majors and it's um, really kind of it gives a great depiction of the continued separation uh, between those those areas and the gaps just continuing to get larger in both revenues and expenses over time um so I would say um you know really on FBS um there's a, a huge difference between what you see in power five and group of five um FCS and the mid majors really are um you know a lot a lot more consistent probably with group of five but still um you know as as Shane mentioned, really focused on that allocated support. Um, But Shane, what were your thoughts on some of the data you saw?
2: Yeah, and you know, like you mentioned, it was interesting with the FBS schools, um, just to see that continued increased spending over those uh, 17 years that are in the study, and just to see that, um, that gap between the expenses exceeding, um, the amount of generated revenue each year continued to, uh, just get larger. Um, you know, in, in 2005, the, the first year in the study, the expenses exceeded generated revenues by about 26 million. Um, and so and backing out to the first non-COVID year 2019, and now it's around 70 million, um, exceeding those generated revenues. So, clearly just the, the spending is is increasing and the generated revenues are are not catching up.
0: And this is why it's so important for even the biggest budget schools to continue to find more ways to generate revenue. And, um, you know, Tennessee got a lot of flack uh, when they tore down their goalposts and did a GoFundMe of sorts to to replace their goalposts, but I mean, it's it's important for all of these schools to be looking at these new ways to generate revenue, and um, the the report really shows that widening gap. And and while they're trying to keep up and do the right things, um, just know that that's one way they're trying to do the right thing is by generating revenue, and um, that you know you really shouldn't poke fun at it because money doesn't grow on trees, at, right. even though it may seem that it does.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Shane, what are you seeing? Um, you know, as far as the Power Five goes in the area, in these areas of generated revenue growth and uh, expenses.
2: Yeah, and and Power Five obviously you know has a leg up in the generated revenue sources, and you kind of can see over the trend that generated revenues at Power Five schools are are growing substantially, growing seventy five percent over the years in the study. Um, while expenses, you know, like we mentioned, are are up 124% in that same time frame. Um, Yeah, and as we uh, look at that, and you talk about the gaps here,
1: uh, when you break, when you move down from power five to the group of five, uh, we see over that long-term trend, uh, generated revenue only growing 12% over that 17-year period at the median non-power five school, while their expenses grew 76%. So, um, that 12% in generated revenue growth, that doesn't even keep up with inflation over that uh, that time period. So, um, And obviously, as we know, expenses do keep up with inflation typically or even exceed it. Uh, so as those expenses rose over that period for uh, the group of five, they needed more allocated support from their institutions uh, due to the fact that that generated revenue growth was so flat. Um, so, you know, we see the percentage, uh, and again, kind of looking at the self-sufficiency ratios, um, really going down over that that time period, and um, really the institution itself having to support the arms race efforts that, um, that the schools have.
0: Yeah, and just to kind of uh, digress a little bit, um, you know, this generated revenue includes NCAA distributions. So, if you were to hmm. carve out the CFP governance out of um, the NCAA model. And there have been proposals out there to do that, which uh, uh, one of the proposals would remove football from the NCAA grants and aid um, and sports sponsored revenue distribution. And um, that could have a pretty significant impact on the group of five and even smallest power five institutions who rely on that generated revenue to cover their scholarships and other Mm -hmm. expenses. So Um, You know, we've been talking about that proposal for a while, and while there's a lot of good things that I think could come from that, um, there is going to be a a potential uh, large impact to some of these uh, kind of mid-tier FBS and and lower-tier FBS schools that Aren't necessarily going to see a lot coming out of the CFP uh, distributions.
1: Yeah, no, I I agree, Katie, and I think that could be um, personally it seems like a dangerous potential uh, change because that, if anything, that could really widen the gap even more um, and and really hurt some of those Group of Five and and smaller uh, FBS schools. So, Shane, what are we seeing down in the FCS level and the uh, in the mid major trends?
2: Yeah, and, and for those schools, um, it's really the the allocated revenue sources that um, you can kind of see you're making up the biggest piece of the pie. Over 66% of revenues for FCS schools are coming from uh, institution and, and governmental support, and it's you know 68% uh, for the non-football schools. And over the 17 years that, that we're looking at, the generated side of the revenues only grew um, around 17%. While total expenses were up 107%. So it's a wow. yeah, pretty big difference there. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah. And the, you know, that's important for the FCS to really pay attention um, to how they're continuing to fund their increased expenses when they're struggling to grow use, um, but their expenses are continuing to grow. And those expenses include scholarships. Um, and, and facilities. Um, so one one of the data visualizations in the report that I found most surprising was comparing all D1 subdivisions, um, which takes the median ratio of athletics expenses to institutional expenses and the median ratio of allocated revenue to institutional expenses. So um, you know looking at your athletics program in relation to the entire university and how the university, is supporting athletics in relation to how it's supporting um, other areas of the university. So uh, one thing I saw was um, in the FBS side was the median ratio of athletics expenses to institutional expenses has been pretty stable in the five to 6% range. Um, The FCS though, um, I I said this on Twitter and it ended up uh, generating a lot of questions, I said the FCS has the biggest front porch when you look at the comparison of athletics expenses and allocated revenue to institutional expenses. Um, So what I meant by that statement um, was that the FCS by far has a larger percentage of athletics expenses compared to to total institutional expenses, meaning that at most FCS institutions, they're going all in on athletics, um, as opposed to having competing priorities um, and investing in other areas. And this isn't, you know, saying this is the case at all FCS institutions, but many of them are smaller and um, they may not be running other uh, business type or auxiliary type activities like medical centers or things like that. Um, And they're really just going in on all in on athletics. So because of that, um, when we talk about the front porch and athletics is the front porch, there's not really another flag flying in front of the university, so to speak, that's helping to drive enrollment and helping to um, drive, you know, increases in endowments and things like that. And really, you know, the biggest brand builder um, for FCS is athletics. And so um, when you're also looking at FCS expenses, um, the biggest piece of the pie for FCS is scholarships, which is a transfer expense, and it's not a real true expense. So, um, you know, there is a really important relationship that's mutually beneficial between mm-hmm. campus and athletics in that area and and really FCS schools should uh, spend a lot of time really trying to craft their value proposition uh, to explain this because you're already getting allocated support, but you're needing to get more or find other ways to generate revenues, which means you're going to have to invest in innovative people to help generate those revenues. So um just thought that was really interesting and then shane back to i guess your your points on the self-sufficiency um what it what kind of data did you see as the trends went
2: yeah and so really getting into to kind of totals uh rather than you know percentage of schools that that are self-sufficient versus aren't but just looking at overall for for example all power five schools what what were their total generated revenues and what were their total expenses, and just kind of seeing what portion of those expenses are being covered by generated revenues. Um, and so that percentage was down to eighty percent in 2021. Um, and just for reference, you know, the first year in the study that we're looking at was 2005, um, and ninety-five percent of expenses were covered by those generated revenues. And then even looking back at pre-COVID 2019. It was still at 95 percent. So it's a substantial decrease over the last two years being down at 80 percent, really kind of showing that that impact of of covid and the um, negative effects on those generated revenue sources. And it's it's interesting to see that those power five schools are are typically the um, institutions that are getting the least amount of help from campus uh, and institutional support when You know, really, they've needed it over these past couple years. Looking into the group of five, it's kind of been a similar trend where in 2005, over 50 percent of expenses were covered by generated revenues. Um, But kind of as we've mentioned, the expenses have really been increasing at a pace that the generated revenues can't cover. And and so it's down to 30 percent in 2021 um, of, you know, expenses covered by those revenues. So it's, again, back to Katie's point of really just looking for um, those alternative revenue sources and, and that revenue generation is, is going to be so important um, as the expenses continue to increase. So Katie, one of the biggest
1: uh, things we always see and have in the media and then discussions we have with with clients and others in the industry is just the, the topic of coaching compensation. Um, and then athlete support. You know, what are you seeing in this um, in this data that tells you of interesting observations uh, in that area?
0: Yeah, so there's one slide that covers the proportion of total expenses related to coaching compensation. And, um, you know, really, it's it's hard to analyze over the entire trend. So I'm going to take 2005 versus 2019, where um 16 to 19 percent of uh coaching compensation uh compared to total expenses in 05. Um and that went from 18 to 19 percent in 2019. And really the ironically, from you know that change because the gap kind of narrowed um, from 16 to 19 and 05 to 18 to 19 in, in 2019. Um, and that was the power five catching up um and mm-hmm. as it relates to total expenses. Um now, once you go into 2020 and 2021, that's harder to analyze because of COVID mm-hmm. and the coaching contracts are fixed while other expenses were cut. Um, but the number for 2021 was um, 21 to 22 percent. So of course, it it did make up that a bigger piece of the pie then. Mm-hmm. But um, yes, coaching compensation is increasing drastically, um, but there are other expenses that are increasing in line with that, and you can see that over the trends. Um, an observation that another member of the sports media um, made uh, on Twitter when this report first came out um, was that if you throw in recruiting, medical, and facilities um, with scholarships and combine all those together, athletes are generally um, generously getting approximately 39 percent of the pie in the Power Five um, versus coaches and admins are getting 42 percent of that pie. So, Um, they're roughly getting about the same in support and um, funding, even though it's not cash necessarily. Um, And that, and you know, the the coaches and admins together are getting 42%. You carve the admins out and they would be getting even less than that. And um, one of the comments, uh, so a a trustee of a power five school reached out um, after some commentary around that and and indicated that um, the best and least known part of the story is the percentage of revenue that athletes receive. Um, and, and I, uh, you know, sit, made this statement recently on another podcast was, you know, there are finite resources. So as we look at NIL and the future of compensating athletes, you, know, you can't continue to give them everything they're getting now and then also pay them. So, you know, stopping and asking the question, what is it exactly that the athletes want? and then direct those resources to that um, as opposed to continuing to do what you're already doing and then adding additional money on top of that. Um, so I just thought that was a really interesting observation.
1: Yeah. And I think that just really um, hammers home your point that you so often make is the importance for athletic administrators to, to really tell the financial story, you know, because that's a story that's probably untold uh, in that case, so. Um, well, a lot of discussion around numbers, which we love, of course, uh, so this has been a fun, fun episode, but um, also really love enjoying a good beer, so I'd be curious to hear um, maybe Katie kick us off with something that you've enjoyed on uh, on our work travels here lately.
0: Yeah, so so the three of us just got back from South Bend, and um, I have talked about this brewery before. It's not in South Bend, but it's in the Midwest, um, called Toppling Goliath, and they have... Um, some different beers that are, um, dinosaur kind of related. So Sudosu, which is a pale ale, um, is a really good, solid choice.
1: Excellent.
2: And Shane? Yeah, we went to uh, Crooked U Brewery while we were in South Bend and I tried a Glasgow Scotch Ale and I'd never tried a Scotch Ale before, but it was phenomenal. I, it was delicious and I'll probably have it again.
1: Well, that's great. And, uh, while we were out in South Bend had a, um, uh, first, for me, a brewery called War Pigs USA Brewing, which I um, learned a little bit about. I didn't realize it's a international collaboration, actually. It's from uh, Three Floyds, uh, which is a famous Indiana brewery, and Mickler, which is a brewery out of Denmark, one of the top uh, European breweries. So th- it's a collaboration brewing company. Between those two, I had Foggy Geezer, which was their uh, hazy style IPA and enjoyed it very much.
0: So we really hope this was helpful for those in athletics leadership trying to tell their financial story. And we will continue to uh, use this platform to help you all um, better figure out a way to do that. Um, And we also hope it was educational for those trying to understand college athletics finances. Thank you to our listeners for tuning in. Cheers. To learn more about the James Warren Company Collegiate Athletics and Higher Education segments, go to JMCO.com. And don't forget to sign up for insights to get our latest industry updates, news and events delivered straight to your inbox. You can also follow us on Twitter at JMCOHigherEd and on LinkedIn for the latest news as the landscape of collegiate athletics and higher education is continually evolving.